is a story about next door neighbors who lived in Minnesota that captured hearts. And this story was about an unlikely friendship between Emmett and Erling. Emmett and Erling. This story first aired on CARE 11, a Minneapolis TV station, back in 2014. Uh, when this story aired, at the time, Emmett was three years old and Erling was 89. Emmett was three and Erling was 89. I want to show you this report. Uh, the reporter is Boyd Hubert, and he is one of the all-time great storytellers in television news. So please watch this story with me. Emmett Richner is three, going on four. And for no particular reason, he is driving with his eyes closed, which would not appear to be going particularly well. Fortunately, Emmett has a mentor. I got a bagger that fits on the back. Erling Kingdom is 89, going on 90. And this has been going on. Ready, set, go! For nearly a year. Emmett's parents had to laugh. He blocked me out. The first time they saw their preschool racing a man who fought in the Second World War. I told you he was fast. I'm super fast. You want to play croquet? Which stick are you going to have? The man they'd wave to, but barely knew. Watch this, Erling. From the house. Oh, right through. Next door. Boom! They're together pretty much every day. Did you find a worm? Nope, it's a, it's a bug. Emmett first crossed into Erling's yard when he caught a glimpse See these yellow flowers? of his favorite food. These are going to be tomatoes. Every time he saw me out there, he would come running over. Erling, got any tomatoes? <laughs> Can you throw a baseball in there? Every day. Erling can't see so good. A new adventure. Oh. We saw Erling over working on this bike that looked like it was from you know, the 60s. <laughs> and I thought, there's no way he's going to get on this bike. And he did. It took him a couple times to get on his bike. And I thought, am I going to have to call 911? Please don't fall over. Anika Richner wondered if so warm a friendship you want to play Star Wars with these? would survive the winter. One day I looked out the window and I took this picture because it was just so cute. He was snow blowing a path from his back door straight to our back door <laughs> so they could visit. Yep. You know what this is from? Mm -mm. It's from Erling. Where's the fish pool? He likes to show him things and draw him pictures and explain. So I can learn about how fishing works. He's just taught him so much. Which is why those tears um. have been coming more often. We decided back uh, a month ago to, to move. Brian Richner says their growing family simply needs more space. I love him. It is the hardest part about moving. Yeah, it's tough. And change. It's tough. Is coming uh, for early, too. Yeah. When you think about it. Soon he'll be 90. Yeah. His wife is ill. And just days ago, Erling's kids finally convinced him it's time to trade his house and yard for a senior apartment. Erling, come over here. Till moving trucks roll. I can hear you. Goodbye. We'll have to wait. Put a washer on. This January, December friendship 
still has a bittersweet July. Just do it by hand slow first. Well, there's no replacement for Erling. You won't find a neighbor like him. So you put the washer on first? That's right. Boyd Hooper, CARE 11 News, Farmington. Sounds like it's typed. Wow. Emmett and Erling, what a story. Some of you being here, was that was worth it. You can just head home right now. Emmett and Erling, they were friends until Erling's death in 2016. Uh, if that story fascinated you, it's fascinated many. And a, a quick uh, online Google search, and you can watch uh, some of the follow-up stories that Boyd Hubert has done uh, on the relationship and has uh, Emmett has grown up. He's now, I think, a 10 or 11-year-old. This story, it is a story because of the friendship between a three-year-old and an 89-year-old is unlikely, right? News grabs on what is out of the ordinary. And so we would say that it is out of the ordinary. It is unusual for an 89-year-old to have a friendship with a three-year-old. It also shows that a three-year-old and an 89-year-old can have a relationship that is meaningful and life-giving for both people involved. That was a two-way relationship. If this is your first time here on a, on a Sunday night, it's a great night to be here because we're starting a Sunday evening series called Generations. Generations. And the idea is that God designed us, God designed us for intergenerational relationships. God designed us for intergenerational relationships. It's part of God's plan that we will find meaningful relationships with people who are older and who are younger than us. And our goal in talking about all of this is that we will be a church family of people who find value and no value in relationship with people who are a generation or two older than we are, ahead of us, and uh, the other way around, depending on where you, where you fall, that uh, we will find value and we will know value in uh, having relationship with a generation or two or even three that come after us. And I'm going to fight uh, the, any urge that may come up to say insensitive age jokes during this time and this conversation. We know that a generation can roughly be measured at about 20 or 30 years. So when we talk about a generation ahead, we're talking about 20 to 30 years. Uh, so having relationship with someone 20 to 30 years older, two generations, 40 to 60 years older, generations behind, 20 to 30 years younger, 40 to 60 years younger. Let's look at verses that highlight God's heart for intergenerational relationships. We can see in God's word that having relationships that cross generational lines, it's God's idea. Some of these will be familiar to you. Proverbs 17, 6, grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. Intergenerational. Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Intergenerational. From the Ten Commandments, every mom and dad's favorite verse, honor your father and mother. 
Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Take care of any widow who has no one else to take care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. How about Old Testament law? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32. Stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the aged. Fear your God, I am the Lord. Now you may actually enjoy this verse better in the English Standard Version. You shall stand before the gray head and honor the face of an old man and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Now my children have been... uh, thankfully letting me know that the number of gray hairs that I have on my head are increasing. Daddy, why do you have gray hair? These are all verses that show us God's heart for intergenerational relationships. If you were to look at these verses, some of the words that the Bible uses to describe relationships that cross generational lines Uh, would be words like this, train, honor, care, responsibility, and respect. This summer, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from several pastors on our team. We have an amazing team of staff pastors. Many of our pastors, their responsibility, while they have uh, responsibility for things that are church-wide, some of their core responsibilities involve specific age demographics. We have PC Kids pastors. We have Pastor Spencer and Pastor Aaron, PC Youth. We have Pastor Brent, who uh, helps to minister to our young parents, young couples, young families. We have Pastor Bill who has a special heart, special responsibility for PC seniors. And so what we're going to talk about is the value of each generation and how each generation brings value to the other generations. We're going to be sharing on the value brought by people in different life seasons. We will unwrap how we are better as individuals And we are better as a church family when training, honor, care, responsibility, respect happens across generational lines. As we launch into this conversation, talking about generations, how people are valuable to God and others at all seasons of life, today I want to talk for just a couple minutes about babies. About babies. There is this moment near the end of Jesus' life where he elevates children and even infants, describing their capacity to know and to recognize God. In the final week before Jesus' crucifixion, he makes what we know as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The crowds, they wave the palm branches, shouting Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is a shout of praise, but it's more than that. It is a plea or a cry for salvation. That's what happens as the crowds are gathering in Jerusalem as Jesus is making his entry in the final week of his life, this side of the crucifixion. The crowds shout, 
son of David as Jesus passed. This is a powerful recognition and a belief that the one who is passing by them at that moment is the Messiah. After the triumphal entry, Jesus enters the temple and this famous scene from history unfolds. Jesus finds that there is corruption in the temple courts. The temple is filled with merchants who are taking advantage of the disadvantaged. These merchants are selling animals for sacrifice. They're price gouging. They're removing spiritual value of the sacrifice and they're turning the place of worship into a marketplace. So what does Jesus do? He flips over the tables and says, my temple will be called a house of prayer. You have turned it into a house or a den of thieves. Because that moment is so well known, it's possible to overlook or to miss what happens next. Jesus stays in the temple after that moment. And watch this, Matthew chapter 21, verse 14 The blind and the lame came to him, Jesus, in the temple, and he healed them. Jesus stays. The blind and those with physical disabilities, they know Jesus' reputation. They come and they are healed by Jesus. All right. No matter what your spiritual beliefs, if you witness this happening, you would say that is miraculous. If you were to see a person who suffered from blindness come into this place, they come in and they cannot see or their, their sight is severely hindered. They were to come in this place, they were touched by another, and at that moment, their eyesight was given to them for the first time or restored. We would say, that is a miracle. If we were to be sitting here and someone who came in with a severe physical disability, a great a hindrance to their ability to move, to walk, whatever it may be, came in and they were touched by another and at that moment the one who had not walked for a long time or never walked began to walk. Anyone who's watching would have said that is a miracle, that is amazing. <laughs> Watch what happens when this, happened, when this occurs at this moment in history. Matthew 21, 15, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard, here it is, even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. The verse is not over yet. There's one more line. It says, but the leaders were indignant. <laughs> the leaders were indignant. One event, people are coming in. They know that Jesus is healer. They are being healed. This, uh, these healings are being witnessed by two different groups, the Pharisees or the religious elite and the children. One event, two different groups, two different reactions. The religious elite are indignant after witnessing Jesus' miracles. Indignant is a great word. It means filled with anger, scorn, despise, to be provoked, to be infuriated. They are threatened, these spiritual leaders are threatened by the spiritual revolution that has been happening with Jesus Christ at the center. The leading priests and the religious law, they are worried about their positions and they have convinced themselves that Jesus is a threat to their religion and to their positions. So they are indignant. 
watching an event that any one of us, if we were to watch this unfold, we would say, that is a miracle, that is amazing, God must be at work here. How, how could you become so warped in, in your mind and in your thinking and in your beliefs that you could witness such an amazing thing and instead of reacting with amazement, you would become indignant to watch the miraculous healing of those who are blind or had a physical disability, to react with anger, scorn, despise, to be infuriated by this. I mean, something is warped in your mind. Watch the children. The children's reaction to Jesus' miracles is praise. The children react with praise. The children, as they are witnessing the very same event happening, they respond with a phrase that was shouted at the triumphal entry. Matthew records that the children were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Now, if you have uh, your Bible open and you were to flip back to the triumphal entry, you would see that praise God for the son of David. This is an exact phrase that people were shouting as Jesus was making the triumphal entry. What's interesting? Uh, what do we know about children, especially young children? Think of children just learning to speak, like our, our precious little two-year-old, uh, Elsa, or not two-year-old, she acts like a two-year-old sometimes, but she's only uh, 19 months. She's learning to speak. What do they speak? Small children usually do not use words to express their thoughts after carefully evaluating the situation and formulating an opinion. When small children speak, they are often doing what? They are repeating what they hear adults saying. Specifically, the adults or older children who they spend the most time with. So it's possible, even likely, that these small children who are witnessing the miracles in the temple, they are expressing praise because that's what they have watched their older brothers and sisters do. They have watched their parents do. They have watched their aunts and their uncles and other important adults in their life. So they are repeating the praise that they have picked up from the older generations. <laughs> Here come the religious leaders. Verse 16, they asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? <laughs> yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. The you in this verse is God. And this is a quote of Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. If you were to look back to Psalms, you would see this Verse, Jesus is quoting Psalms 8-2. Back to the religious leaders, back to the people who are supposed to know the word and the law. God has taught children and infants to give him praise. God wires children and infants to give him praise. Jesus quotes a psalm. You have taught children and infants to give you praise. Children and infants are capable of praising God. We see in this event, children and infants have a greater understanding in this moment of who Jesus is than the adults. In this event, the adults are supposed to be the ones with all the religious knowledge. 
Do you know that sometimes as adults we make it too complicated? Sometimes adults we allow pride and selfishness to getting in the way of acknowledging what is obvious. A child might say, well, that's clearly God. And uh, for some reason, sometimes adults, we have harder time, a harder time acknowledging, acknowledging that. Well, Jesus talked about this earlier, Matthew chapter eleven twenty-five. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Do not underestimate what children and infants can teach us about God. Jesus placed value on the way that children responded to him, and so should we. Now, Pastor Rob and Pastor Christina and Pastor Stephanie, they talk to our, our children about what it means to be a follower of Christ, about the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so your, your children uh, may come home or grandchildren, and they would report that they had a spiritual encounter with God. And, and there may be something inside of us that perhaps has this temptation to say, that's, that's nice. But we should not discount that experience that that small child has had. We know that there are missionaries who are serving in foreign countries today who can say, I knew when I was five years old that I was supposed to be a missionary. We see people preaching in pulpits who they can remember back to being a child and saying, I, I now see how God was, had wired me like this from the beginning. And it's not just in pastoral work. It's in other professions as well. Maybe you're in the medical field and you can remember uh, the way that you played as a child and you would say, I, I can see how God wired me to serve people medically even as a child. Or I can see how God had prepared me and, and begin to set me up to be a pilot or a landscaper or anything as a child. We should not underestimate what God is doing in the lives of our children. As a parent, I've learned a lot about God from being a father. See, God wants us to know him as a perfect heavenly father. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all who see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. God wants us to know him as a heavenly father. Matthew 5, 48, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. God wants us to understand him as a heavenly Father. Through raising my children, I have greater understanding of unconditional love. As a parent, and you know this as a parent, if you're a parent or a grandparent, uh, nothing can make you stop loving your child. There's nothing that they could do that would make you stop loving them. Through raising my children, I have greater understanding of dependence. In the first years of life, children are completely dependent upon grown-ups. In the relationship that children have with their parents, children become what? They become more independent over time. Now, something 
uh, actually opposite happens in our relationship with God. Well, our relationship with our earthly parents, we become more independent over time. What happens in our spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father is that we grow to know more and more about God and who He is. We actually become more dependent upon Him. And we realize that that's a good thing. As we open this conversation on generations, we saw that these words mark quality cross-generation relationships. Train, honor, care, responsibility, and respect. So this is a question for all of us to think about tonight. These words, these words that are up on the screen, do any of these words or all of these words describe a relationship that you have with someone who is 20, 30, 40, 50 years younger than you? Do any of these words describe a relationship in your life with someone who is 20, 30, 40, 50 years older than you? Teenagers and kids, going to grandma or great grandma's house, and uh, sitting on the couch and watching your tablet until it's time to go, or the phone, that, that is not an intergenerational relationship. Your grandparents and great-grandparents have amazing things that they are willing to pour into your life. And uh, if you allow them to, and some of you have, if you allow them to pour into your life, you realize that some of the things that you're facing are not all that different from things that they faced when they were your age. The uh, story that we showed you at the beginning, the relationship between an 89-year-old Erling and his three-year-old next-door neighbor, those are the two main people in this true story, but there are other very important people in the story. They are the parents of three-year-old Emmett. If you picked up in the news report, you can see that mom and dad allowed this relationship to happen. So I find a challenge as a parent, are we as parents opening to, open to making space and time for a relationship between our own children and a neighbor like that? If there were to be that opportunity, our, our children, they uh, can bring life to someone who is in the older generation. I remember as a, um, when I was in elementary school, I don't know if it was once a month or once a quarter, but several times during the course of one of our elementary school years, we would get in a van, uh, a, a school van, and they would take us to a, a senior living center and we would spend time in the afternoon interacting with uh, these senior citizens. And those were precious memories. I remember those moments clearly. There's something about intergenerational relationships that touch our soul and touch our spirit in a way that we cannot get from people who are our own age. Now having friends, of course, who are our own age, very, very valuable, very, very important. But God, we see, wired us for intergenerational relationships. So let me challenge us. Let me challenge us as a church family. 
wherever you are, maybe you'd say, I actually have been very open to this. And I, maybe you would say today that you actually have stories from your own life about how you have uh, poured into somebody who is much younger than you, or you've created a friendship with someone who's much older, with you, older than you. Maybe it's someone inside or outside your family. Let me encourage you to keep on doing what you're doing. And if not, for whatever reason, uh, if you're open, would you be willing to be open to allowing that to occur? Uh, sometimes we can write off people who are not in the generation that we are in. We can think of uh, the other generation, they're younger and they don't get it. The younger generation thinks of the older generation, they don't get it. There was a, a few years ago that I was uh, sitting at a, a table, it was a, a men's Bible study night, and I was uh, probably 40 or 50 years younger than the other four or five men at the table. And as we started to ask the discuss, they started to ask the discussion questions, if I were to close my eyes, some of the things that these guys were saying were almost word for word what I would hear from, I would have heard from people who were my own age answering the same question. And the point is, is that sometimes we think that people who are outside of our generation, they just don't get it. When in reality, we have so much to learn from each other and so much to grasp if our hearts would just be open. So I believe as we have these conversations over the course of the summer, that we are going to see a fostering and a respect and an honor and a training and a, a heart and relationship that goes in both directions. That as we become open, that uh, our lives will be poured into by other generations. I think of uh, Joe Weber, who has served our kids for many, many decades, old enough to be some of the kids' uh, great-grandfather who he served, uh, serving in our children's area. And it was not a one-way street. Joe was getting just as much life from them as he was pouring back in to those young children. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ tonight. We are thankful that intergenerational relationships was your idea. We thank you, Father, that uh, you created us when we're young to receive wisdom for, from those who have gone before. And as we grow older, we can, if we're not careful, become so set in our ways that we would be closed off to what the younger generation might want to speak into our lives. So, Father, wherever we are on the age spectrum, whatever season of life we come into this place with tonight, Father, we believe that you want to do something in our lives through the younger generation. As I'm praying this, I'm thinking about workplaces and workplaces where perhaps someone who's uh, near the end of, of their career is closed to allowing someone who's newer or younger to speak new things into their life. And maybe it goes the other way around where the younger person feels shut down because uh, someone who's older isn't open or whatever it may be. I, I pray, Lord, that as we grow in intergenerational relationship strength in our church, that we would take that to our workplace. Where, where some in the workplace may dismiss the one who's younger and push them aside. May we be as Christians the one who would, when everyone else is pushing that younger team member to the side, may we be the ones who go and bring that person under our wing 
and say, let me show you, let me help you. Maybe it's a workplace where the workforce is predominantly younger and there's become a culture where it's to mock or even dismiss those who are near the end of their career. May we as Christians be people in the workplace who would be the one that crossed the generational lines and said, said, maybe this person who's gone before us, maybe they have some wisdom that we should lean into and not just dismiss them as outdated. We see in God's word that we have value no matter what season of life we're in. We see from this example in the final week of Jesus' life that it was actually the children who grasped and understood what was happening when Jesus Christ was healing while the adults were making it far too complicated and allowed their own pride to get in the way. Maybe there's someone here who's been praying for a door to be open within a family or within a neighborhood because a generation has been closed off. Father, we pray for healing and restoration. Father, we are thankful for a church. We do not take it for granted that we have multiple generations in this church. We have things to learn from each other. Father, we know it is the heart of the younger generation to honor those who are of the age of their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And Father, I've spoken to many who would be in that grandparent or great-grandparent age group in this church who have come and pulled me aside and said, make this a church that my grandchildren want to attend. Seek God so that this church will be a a place that my great-grandchildren will attend. I'm so thankful, God, for the heart of the, that greatest generation that would say, whatever it takes, pastoral team, go after the next generation. We're with you, we're for you. That is the heart of God. I'm so thankful that we don't see in our, our church midst people who are so set in their ways that they would be closed off to seeing what God wants to do new, that this is a church where we sense an openness to the move of God. Father, lead our church family to a place where we continue to be attractional to a lost and dying world. Father, we're thankful as we, I talk to the the team that greets as people under the doors, that once again this Sunday, as you've been so faithful to do each and every Sunday. We see new visitors across all generational lines. Thank you, Father. We do not take this for granted. Father, tonight we ask that you would open our hearts. And maybe tonight for someone in this room, you're laying a specific person on their mind. Maybe you've actually convicted some of us, Father, because for whatever reason we've been closed off to opening ourselves to the relationship of someone outside our own generation. Open our hearts. Help us to reflect your heart. Help us to find value in those who are outside of our own age group. Realizing that God, you have you see value in them, and when we see value in them, we reflect your heart. Thank you, Jesus.